This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. On this episode, we speak to attorney, author, and activist Monica Ramirez about what motivates her to do more than enough, a lot more than enough, to stand up for migrant women and her community. She is the founder of Justice for Migrant Women and co-founder of Alancia Nacional de Campesinas, the Latinx House and Poderistas. On Mental Health Month, Monica speaks to us about Healing Voices, a first-of-its-kind mental health initiative for farm workers. Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast. Hosted by me, Brenda Gonzalez, a political nerd and nonprofit capacity builder. And me, Ana Sheila Victorino, a queer well-being enthusiast and mindset coach. We are a Latinx empowerment podcast discussing politics, culture, and how to keep your calma with well-being practices and self-love. Our mission is to use laughter and conversation to inform and inspire. For us, self-care and advocacy go hand in hand. We want you to be your best you so together we can build more inclusive communities. Welcome to the show! What's up? We're back for another episode of Tamarindo. Hola, amiguis. Hello, Ana Sheila. Um, ¿Qué pasa contigo? What's new with you? Pues I'm so happy to be back in this room with you. Yeah, so in, in vivo, <laughs> once again. En vivo y directo. Yes, I just spent the last week with my with my family, with my brother and my mom and my little niece and super, super cute. Very adorable. She looks just like the little girl from Monsters, Inc. She does. I'm officially a, a Nina. A Nina? <laughs> right? That's what they call them, right? So that's what I, yeah, madrina. Nina. Yes, I'm a Nina. And such a, it's so, it's so beautiful. Very, it feels very powerful too, because in a way I feel like this is a, I'm a madrina in the Catholic church. And I feel like in a way this church doesn't totally accept me, but I feel like I'm rebelling in my role as, as a Nina and it feels very important to me. And it was very special, but it was interesting because this church, I think it was pretty, you know, I think with Catholicism, there's like a little bit of a range in terms of conservative to a little bit more yeah, progressive yeah, yeah. in terms how's, of how's the churches. The this one? It felt very conservative, and I think it's because also Phoenix, ¿verdad? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and a quite white per, part of, of Phoenix, so it was interesting but going in. Was the in, Misa in Spanish or English? No, this was the English one, because there oh, wasn't, no, there's no, a Spanish no. one, but for y'all that don't know, my brother, his wife is Vietnamese, oh, and so, so the, most of the common understand. language is, is English between the families, yeah. so we went to the English one that is such a different vibe I it love, totally I love, is. Man, I love misa in spanish okay yes i mean there's i know like i don't have a connection I like to the misa songs, in know? english alabare, 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 mi señor. much better did than... you sing in the choir or I, sure what, did. I sure did anyway tell me more about this well yeah so it was interesting coming in because yes i don't have a connection but it was what was nice that it wasn't a full misa so you didn't have to sit through a whole hour it was just like the there was just four like four or five babies and we just did it in the front of the like in the little area outside? not outside but before you go into the actual church cool. yes but it was weird because you could totally see the difference between the families that were there you could see 
there was a group of people that no one was even trying, no, no masks in sight. Yeah, that. And then there was, worn them. right. And then there was our, our group that, you know, we came in with masks. And so you could very much just vax feel, and masks. right. You vax and, and masks and you could feel the difference. And so that was interesting. And it was also interesting to see, I saw a little sign that said, pray for like basically like a 40 day anti-abortion oh. campaign. So, <laughs> and it was, and it was hard and it was hard to see that. And it's, it was kind of like, oh, like, come on. It's so hard for me to see that. There's so many things that you could be having a 40 day prayer for. Like, let's, yeah. how about praying for the lives of uh, people that are alive? Like, how about that? <laughs> yeah. Right. But it still, it felt very special and, and, you know, powerful and symbolic for me as, you know, taking on this role. I love my niece and this is. And that's really what matters. At the yeah. end, that's all that matters is yeah, that you're, exactly. you're, you're there to take care of her and symbolize and, and have a yeah. ceremony marking that right. I'm here to take care of you right. forever and, and ever. I'm sort of, I feel like in a way rebelling like against dogma like this is my relationship as a spirit guide for my niece and my own connection with God y todo eso. Very cool. Yes. So now I'm in LA contigo. My head was hurting before we met and now I feel better with this margarita. So yeah, it turns out if you have a headache takes care of your headache. Yes. <laughs> Cool. ¿Y qué más? ¿Qué más? What about you? ¿Qué pasa contigo? Well, I just got back from book club. I love my book club. It's it's basically a, uh, it's like fight club. You don't talk about book club, but here I am talking about anybody that's listened to this podcast for a very long time. I talked about this book club in my very first episode. We don't accept new members. It's very special. <laughs> but today uh, we, we discussed a book that was, I'm not, I don't, don't ask me to re- remember the name of the book, but I am one of the few that actually read the book. But what was really funny is that uh, what we always do is we start with a synopsis of the book and of course, this is book club, and this is the first time we've gotten together in a long time because of COVID. So we had our mimosas; it was great. And so I had—I was one of the few people that finished the book, so I had to do a synopsis. And because I was tipsy, a lot of folks thought that it sounded like drunk history. I don't know if you've ever seen yes. this show. Oh my god, I feel like you would be the—you'd be perfect to <laughs> so read that for is drunk precisely history. Precisely what happened is that I'm telling this story, which is very tragic, but like <laughs> very animated, and I—I I, I felt that it was. A very sweet compliment to be told that the way I tell these stories are very much like drunk history. So. Well, I think we just came up with a new segment for Tamarindo. Please <laughs> yeah, let get, us know. Get me drunk and I'll recap a story. Send us a message <laughs> if you would like us to do that. <laughs> exactly. Well, okay, so we're still in May and May is also a, an important month about mental health. And it's a, you know, we talk about this often here on Tamarindo. We know that uh, mental health is incredibly important and we want you to be the best you that you can be, and that includes, of course, your mental health. So today, we are going to start with our calma. As you know, that's what we call our well-being segment, when we think about what we want to send to all of you through the sound waves, is that to, to take care of yourself, right? So, Ana Sheila, what is our calma today? Thank you for the introduction, Cal- calma. <laughs> Brenda, calma, I also noticed your voice right now changed as you were preparing to introduce this segment. I was trying to, to get into that wellness space. <laughs> I was feeling more grounded as, as you went on. Good. <laughs> so today, uh, I want to introduce a technique that might help you deal with difficult moments, or more specifically, uh, difficult emotions. And I want to start by saying that a lot of times in difficult moments or when we're struggling with difficult emotions, there is an element of shame or perceived failure or unworthiness about the fact that we are struggling. And we get to continue to challenge that just because we're having difficult 
a difficult moment or emotion doesn't make you any less worthy. doesn't mean that you're a failure. It actually just means that you are human. And that's beautiful. Yeah, we're all so, human. <laughs> yeah, so I just wanted to, as an introduction, but the technique that I'm going to touch on is called RAIN. Okay. Yes. So we're going to start with R. So R is for recognize what is going on. So that just means consciously acknowledging in any moment the thoughts and feelings and behaviors that, that are that you're that you're that are affecting you know so recognizing that you're stuck and that you might have beliefs emotions or sensations that are keeping you stuck and that are difficult to work through so that's the first that's the first letter so then we've got a allow so allowing the experience to be there just as it is so just letting the thoughts and emotions and feelings that we've recognized be there. Because a lot of times what happens is we have, we feel something weird or something we don't like. And instead of letting it be, we react in one of the following ways. We go right away to, to judgment, judging ourselves or judging other people that might be involved in, in what you're dealing with or numbing ourselves to the feelings. So just trying to bypass what you're actually feeling or focusing, you're just thinking about something else instead of just like allowing, like, this is what is happening. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Beautiful. Okay, so then we've got I. So the I in RAIN is investigate with kindness. So calling on our curiosity. So desire to explore what's going on. So really just act actually taking the time to, to ask what's happening inside me. So maybe you already did this a little bit when you were recognizing, but now you're adding a little bit more like activeness in terms of what you're exploring. And really the, the, a key word is curious because a lot of times it, we're trying to figure out like what is going on with me in a, in a way that's very judgmental, judgmental, yeah. harsh. I know that I've done that. I'm like, what is going on with me? I need to figure it out and I need to fix it right away. And that usually makes makes that worse, all right? So being curious and investigating what's going on with ourselves. What and are some then, questions you could ask yourself when you're doing that? Yeah, so you can ask yourself, what most wants my attention? How am I experiencing this in my body? Or what am I believing? And what does this feeling want from me? So those are a few questions that we can use. And then lastly, natural loving awareness. So that is... Not letting ourselves be sort of letting these emotions or sensations or stories take control over us, basically. So just reckon you've been recognizing, you've been allowing, you've been investigating, and now just like a loving awareness of what you are experiencing and being open to, to where it goes without, you know, letting of your letting yourself be controlled by all these other things that are going on. Okay, so let's summarize that. So rain, it's recognize, allow, investigate, natural. And let me add more to that. So it's recognize what's going on, allow the experience to be there just as it is, investigate with kindness and curiosity, and then having natural awareness. Tell me more about natural awareness. So it's not letting yourself be so like, don't let that experience control you. It's not, it's not necessarily, it's not all of you. It's just something that's I happening to you. I love it that way, that yeah. it's not all of you. Yeah. Very cool. So there you go. Thank you so much. Okay, so thank you for, for Rain. And actually, this is incredibly timely and helpful, not only because it's Mental Health Month, but because um, we will soon pivot to having a conversation with Monica Ramirez, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Yes. But um, I want to let our listeners know that this is your trigger warning now, that we will be talking a little bit about sexual violence. And um, I know that that could be something that is triggering for some folks. 
You could remember rain. You could also, there's some resources that we will have linked in our show notes, but I want to take that moment to talk about that briefly. Thank you so much, Anna Shayla. Um, now I want to continue to take in the direction that we got from our listeners that wanted a little bit of, a little bit of pop culture. So, uh, we're introducing this fun little segment. Let's see what you, if you all think about this. This is called. This week in Latinx. So basically what I have for you, Anna Shayla, is I'm going to um, tell you, because I know you don't follow this shit, but I do. So I'm going to tell you the latest uh, Latinx travesty that's happening on the place where travesties happen, which is Twitter. Uh, yeah. um, and you tell me, I'm going to give you three scenarios. You tell me which one of these is fake, which one of these actually didn't happen. Okay. Okay. So uh, travesty number one. Hilaria Baldwin. Have you heard of this name before? Yes, I do. I oh do know gosh. about Hilaria. Hilaria. Yeah, Hilaria Baldwin. Um, she appropriated things. She sp- was her name Hillary or was it's it always? Hillary, okay. but she's Hilaria Baldwin and all her kids are like, you know, Emmanuel or whatever. That's probably not one of their kids' names, but like all these Mateo. <laughs> Juan Carlos. Exactly. Okay, yes. Exactly. Juan de Dios de Santa Clara, which is my uncle's name. All right. Um, she he rolled out a band of baby raps. And so that's, so that, it led to a Twitter c- catastrophe. That's one uh, of the, one of the okay. situations. Um, another uh, Twitter debate was uh, controversy over this potential new show called Brownish. Kind of, you know how there's blackish? blackish. Okay. So now there's a new potential show called Brownish centering a Latinx family. And, okay. And controversy around that. Controversy. Okay. Got it. And then there was an, also a controversy around Flaming Hot Cheetos. Who invented Flaming Hot Cheetos? Is it true? Is it false that a Mexican man that was a janitor, did he invent them? Okay, which one of these is fake? Hilaria Baldwin. Yay! I got it right. She got it right. I'm all clapping for myself. My, <laughs> my niece, while I was there, she claps for everything. And that, like, I'm over here. <laughs> like, she claps for herself. Anyways. I love it. Um, okay, that is so funny. I actually knew about the Flaming Hot Cheetos. And, yes. I, and I feel tell a little bit... Your, tell me your Flaming Hot take. My Flaming Hot take. I love that. I'm, I'm, like, disappointed. I don't know what's really true and what's, like, what's true and what's not true, you know? Pero it, it's disappointing, but also I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm a little bit I'm a little bit torn about about how to feel. How to feel? And just in case some of you listeners are um, not not in the know, not in the know, yeah, not in the know. So the real brief situation is this: there's a man named um, Richard. Montanes, Montanes. Yeah. yes, who I've seen many times. I've Actually, seen him live as well. We were, we were probably there together. At the Hisp- uh, Hispanicize. Hispanicize. When, and he was a great and speaker. He was a great speaker. Was an excellent speaker. Great story. Funny, like, funny, engaging. Um, you know, Mexican American. And so his story is how, and the, the the part that is undisputed is that he rose from janitor at the Rancho Cucamonga Frito Lay site to like becoming an executive. And so it's a an inspiring rags to riches story. We know how corporate America is incredibly racist. So, yes, it's, it's definitely worthy to celebrate a brown man climbing up. Fantastic. And part of his story is that he was, um, he introduced this concept of, of putting chili powder on Cheetos because he was inspired by elotes and probably inspired and because by, he's Mexican. by being Mexican. Because we put chili <laughs> we put on, you everything. on everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's his story. And you want to say, oh, how fun. You know, we love Flaming Hot Cheetos. What a great, we, uh, uh, how exciting to celebrate this man that he obviously had a tremendous mark on this corporation, right? That's the story we know. Well, the LA Times released this expose where um, they basically said, that's a great story, but it's not true. And they're, um, their journalistic 
approach to it is, is talking to executives all over Frito-Lay that were around around the potential time that, that this uh, product entered their, you know, consciousness. And their most damning evidence is that there was like some promotional video that actually has the Frito, you know, has Flaming Hot Cheetos in it. And the timeline doesn't really sync up with Richard's timeline. And uh, the executives that were interviewed in this LA Time piece, apparently, according to them, they never saw Richard at any of the conceptual pieces. And like someone said, we love Richard, but no, he didn't do it. Okay. And that got everybody really upset. And, and a lot of people got very upset because like, why are you going to spend all this time, LA Times, to right. take this man down? That was going to be my thought. That was going to be one of my thoughts right now. It's like, this is what you spent your time on. And I had those things thoughts too, but I also had the thoughts of like, well, I believe in journalism. Mm-hmm. Okay. They, they, they have evidence here. And uh, as somebody wrote another hot take, which we'll link on the show notes, they said, you know, I, I even gaslit myself where you're like, oh, man, people were also like, dang, that's but they were bummed out. Right. Because you yeah. want to believe you want to believe that story. We want to believe, believe that we can actually do that. We're so not people, leave, but like, yeah, yeah, that, like anybody. Not, not, right? Yeah. <laughs> so people were bummed out. But then some people were like pissed. Like, what? actually, you're just like you're taking this corporate version and interviewing all these white executives and you're a white journalist writing this. Why, why are you discrediting this man? We believe this man. So there's people that were, were never doubted, never doubted Richard's story. And then there was a, a subsequent piece on in variety, a subsequent piece on NPR um, planet money that basically casted a little more doubt to the version that LA times wrote. So then my emotion, my point of view also changed as did a lot mm. of people were like, huh, interesting. Maybe what, what I am feeling might be true is that way back then, you know, the left hand didn't talk to the right hand at this corporation and it could very well be true that one department was developing it at the same time that Richard was pitching it. And, you know, a lot of times there's like a lot of cross-pollination of ideas. That seems to be the story. Mm. So, but uh, I think, as you mentioned, I think it still casts a lot of doubt. Regardless, it casts a lot of doubt and people have feelings. People have feelings. Yeah, I'll say, and and I think... Sometimes you also see this, and quién sabe, we really don't know, but I feel like sometimes, another thing that you do see, though, is sometimes there's companies that are interviewing people for jobs, right? And they ask them as part of the interview process to give uh, a sample, like a, the, an idea for, for, an, for something they want to innovate on, right? And these ideas are presented to the employers, these people are not hired, and uh, these ideas are often used. Yeah, so there's a lot of times, there's a lot of, there's a lot of times that ideas are being used by people that aren't given credit. I don't know what happened here, but that, that is also true. And regardless of what, of what is true or isn't true, I, I, it, it has been, it's a great accomplishment what Rick, Richard Montanis did. Yes. Regardless. And we're very excited to see the, what, what the, you know, the story of his, his potential film that's, going, that's happening with uh, Eva Langoria that's, that's going to be directed. And I, we want to see more of our story. So let's see it. And it is very, it, 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 it's so interesting how many people are engaged. I won't go more into it, but I will say that there was additional controversy with Gustavo Arellano at the LA Times because he um, has doubled down in defending the LA Times in this, in, in the this story. Ex- even though mm-hmm. new, new, um, you know, new, information has emerged and his take which i i don't know maybe it's true his take is that like really frito-lay is just like you know the the legend is better if we just say that yeah he did invent it and so i don't know to me the bad guy is frito-lay <laughs> so, <laughs> a 
Anyways, that, go down so that, that is rabbit your hole. Hot, hot Cheeto take. <laughs> yes, and then the other controversy I won't spend too much time on, but the Eva Long- it involves Eva Longoria again. Uh, Eva Longoria, who is a you know Mexican American actress, director, producer, I think does a lot of good things with her platform. So I celebrate that. Um, she's uh, in talks with the creators of Blackish to maybe have another spinoff called Brownish, centering a Latinx family. And that set off a lot of people because they had feelings about brownish, the name. And of course, as often happens, they had feelings about Latinx because there's always feelings about Latinx. Did you follow this story at all? No, this one is actually new to me. So I'm excited to get your brief uh, and anything additional on, on the what, what are what are people what, what's uh, what are people struggling with in terms of brownish? Well, I mean, uh, the, what's wrong with brown? Or? The, 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 some of the reservations around brownish is that when you say brownish, you erase black Latinx folks. Oh, so there's got that, it. There's there we that go. There reservation. See, thank you. And see, I didn't go there right away. So that's, that is... That's a, a thought. Then there's also, everybody hates Latinx because, you know, it always stirs people up. One side of it is people that are just never going to adopt Latinx because they're, they have like this commitment to Spanish for some reason. And so they'll never adopt it. Then there's the people that don't like it because they're homophobes. Right. <laughs> Basically. Um, <laughs> then there's people that say, let's move on to Latinx. La- which right. maybe I don't know. I need to learn more, and uh, so there, that always sets people off. But I think with my my thesis, I guess my overall thought is, we have such dismal representation that, um, and I didn't watch Blackish, but I know it was wildly successful. And if it was wildly successful. Let's keep going and, and do any, any opportunity that we can to have um, different experiences than the white experience on screen. I'm here for it. And I, as I mentioned, I, you know, people make mistakes. Eva Longoria is not, you know, she makes mistakes too, but I respect her for, for the, the activism and the work that she does. And so I'm happy that it's a Latina and a, specifically a Mexican American that's in talks with this. And what I want to make sure happens is that it truly is a brownish family. Right. Maybe they could change the name. I specifically right. want, this is what I want. This is what I want. <laughs> I want a half Mexican, half Salvi family. That's what I want. I don't, you know, there are Cubans in, in this country, but they get way more representation than they are in terms of membership of the, in like in the U.S. In the, in the data. Right. We need Mexican stories and even better Central American stories. We definitely don't see that. Yeah. So wouldn't it be? And and many of you listeners have this precise identity. Right, right, right. And especially and in Salvadorian. L.A. <laughs> this is a very L.A. story. So that's what I hope happens. So that's my uh, my rant that. on <laughs> and, this and week and next. And also, if you call end up, well, maybe they should just shouldn't. They first of all shouldn't call it brownish. Maybe it's like the name of the family or algo but like if you call it brownish and then you have some white mexicans <laughs> también, yeah. you know that's kind of <laughs> yes and the other problem too is somebody this is so genius somebody said why don't you just call it spanglish you freaking idiot right. it's right there <laughs> i like that i mean that's who can have a problem with that name i know okay. i mean i'm sure someone can of pero. course someone can the thing is that's the thing latinos are too big of a group to be a group so be there's group. gonna be a problem so there's always gonna be a problem when there's you group them and latino I, latinx todos and i love that post that you shared the other day uh how did it go it, it i wish we spent something about yeah like let's stop debating latinx and instead let's talk about fighting you know white supremacy and all the other things that we need to fight yeah like let's quit fighting among ourselves there's so much shit we could just be fighting for so so much work to do now, <laughs> now i uh 
I, we want to transition to who we have here today because it's, it might as well be a national holiday for Tamarindo. This is fantastic. We have a fantastic guest. So today, um, one of our fans who is, uh, we're a fan of her. She's a fan of us. We're so excited. We have someone that we admire and that models what it means to be an advocate. And who is it that we have here, Ana Sheila? Who do we have today? We are so fortunate to have Monica Ramirez, attorney, author, and activist on this episode. Matraca, matraca. Ooh, that's so <laughs> huge. And like, I'm honored that she is a fan. I, I, big time, big time. <laughs> yeah. And so for, so for y'all that don't know, Monica is the founder of Justice for Migrant Women and co-founder of so many great causes, including Alianza Nacional de Campesinas, the Latinx House and Poderistas. She's received, Monica has received numerous awards and Time Magazine included her in its 2021 Time 100 Next Lift. Yes, Matraca Enorme. We are going to speak to Monica about her work and about an important new program to bring mental health resources resources and therapy to migrant farm workers in California and Florida. Monica hopes this is only the beginning of more systemic changes around mental health support, and we're here for it. So we're so excited. Um, before we talk to Monica, we're going to take a short break. Planned Parenthood asked me to show someone how I see them, like really see them. So this ad is dedicated to none other than you, Anna Sheila. I see you, how compassionate you are, I see the way you care, and the way you do so much to empower the LGBTQ community and beyond. I see your vulnerability as a strength, your fun sense of humor, and your ability to see the positive side of things. I see you as someone that is genuine and authentic, and I feel very lucky to get to see you, the real you. Aww, thank you, Brenda. Mi corazoncito. (laughs) That's so sweet. So Planned Parenthood sees you truly sees you not as patients, but as people, deserving of understanding and compassionate quality health care and education. And they understand the importance of having access to that care so you can define exactly where you're going. Visit www.bscene.org to learn more about how Planned Parenthood is here to see you become who you will be. That's www.bscene.org. I'm so excited. Hi, Monica Ramirez. How are you? Welcome to Tamarillo. Thank you. So happy to be here. We are so, so excited to have you here. And we have um, so many great questions to ask you. And so we're going to just go ahead and dive right in. And the first question that I have for you is that, you know, when I think of you, I'm so inspired by you. You know, we both, we at Tamarindo are both so inspired by your work. And to me, I think it's really all about being more than just enough in terms of advocacy. And I've actually seen you have these wonderful conversations with other leaders. And you, you talk about this, about being more than you know, beyond just enough. So I'd love listeners to know what is your why? What motivates you to go beyond just enough in terms of your advocacy, leveraging your platform, all the different ways that you are advocating for our community? Well, thanks. So first, I would like to congratulate you on this wonderful podcast. I feel like we have now been connected for years. I'm just such a huge fan. You know, I gave you all a shout out on our Poderistas platform because I love you so much and just want to thank you in, in terms of how you are lifting up and, and building our community. So how do I go beyond? You know, my why is 
has always been and will always be my family and my community. And, and for me specifically, that means the farm worker community that I come from. You know, I, I have the great honor of coming from a, a history of people who've toiled and worked the land of this country and brought food to our tables for years and years and years. And my family has given me so much strength and inspiration and, and also an understanding that the injustices that they experienced years ago are the injustices that still exist today. And so, you know, one of my... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Goals has always been to try to finally find a way to put an end to some of that suffering. And I think that because I've been so privileged in my life, you know, I'm first generation in my family that did not have to migrate for the purposes of putting food on our tables. And so that meant that I got to go to school starting in kindergarten. That meant I got to go to school and complete every single full school year in one school. That's a huge privilege for someone for my community. And so I've never taken that for granted. And beyond enough is just, I think the question is really how much more can we do? You know, how much more can we give? How much more um, time do we have? You know, how much more of an impact is possible? And that's really the way that I orient myself. I really don't, I understand the depths of the need that exists for our community as a whole and for marginalized people in our country. And so the question is never, have I done enough? The question is always, how can I do more? And I hope that that's the way that I continue to move in the world because Um, I just think that there is a limitless amount of need to be addressed in, on so many fronts. And I think that I am just in a very unique and privileged position to be able to dedicate my time and my energy to try to figure out how we can actually have the biggest impact possible. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, you're so inspirational. And I think that's definitely a call that um, all of us listening could, could step up to, right, to say, well, you know, how can we do more? Um, and, and especially right now, um, after the pandemic, we know that this, this pandemic really magnified a number of inequities that were already present, but just like were undeniable because of how this disease and then the, the, um, subsequent economic crisis really, people had a different experience depending on where you were in terms of your, your access to opportunities, to housing, to so many different things. And especially when we think about Latinas, a recent report by Unidos US found that during the pandemic, 14% of Latinas had to reduce their hours or quit their jobs because of childcare needs. And I know that you, you just described, uh, you know, your why and how you are a champion for those. That the most vulnerable around among us, which is oftentimes the migrant farm workers. So as we think about the recovery of the pandemic, what does that look like for a just recovery when we think about migrant farm workers specifically? Well, for migrant farm workers, 
there has to be an acknowledgement that what people considered normal was never normal. The fact that farm workers and many other workers across our country have been denied rights since rights existed in this country, that's not normal. And if we don't face that reality and actually do something about it, then we will have not learned anything. You know, there have been over 10,000 farm workers that have died during this pandemic. There have been thousands of farm workers, men, women, children, non binary community members who've gotten COVID during this pandemic and and it wasn't by accident or by chance. It was because farm workers and other people in our country who are working in frontline positions and who are low paid were set up for this. We're set up not to be able to um, manage this crisis as well as other communities. And none of us managed it well, you know? And so for, for me, when I think about a just recovery, it's actually achieving equity in the law and ensuring that all of our communities are actually provided with rights and benefits. And then it's, you know, having laws on the books, it's not enough. That's the bare minimum. Um, in order for us to actually make sure that we achieve justice, we have to make sure that there is enforcement and there is accountability around those rights. And for many migrant workers, including farm workers, that accountability has never existed. And I think that one of the reasons that that accountability has not existed is because too many people in our country, if they see them at all, they don't see farm workers and other migrant workers as human. They're treated as this, as if they're subhuman and therefore denied so much, including justice. So we've got to make sure that there are rights, that there are benefits, there's actual enforcement, and that we talk about farm workers and other migrant workers as people with needs that need to be met and that we're committed to meeting. Um, you know, and the other thing I would say about that is we can't ignore the fact that, in addition to the fact that more than one million Latinas were pushed out of the workforce during this pandemic, we cannot ignore the fact that we are not only facing a physical health crisis in terms of people getting COVID, but we are facing a mental health crisis. You know, there are so many reports that are coming out about um, increased levels of suicide, increased um, anxiety, increased depression, and that is among people of all ages in all geographic regions of all socioeconomic backgrounds. And certainly we're seeing reports coming out about the impact on frontline workers. And, you know, the study that came out related to farmers and farm workers in our country is that 66% of those who were surveyed said that they have faced a mental health crisis during this pandemic. And so for us to build something new and better, it is going to require that we not only consider the physical health and well-being of people across our country, but that we also consider the mental health and well-being of people in our country. Yeah, very important. And in fact, it's it's Mental Health Month, and you are working with some incredible people to pilot a new program aimed specifically at this, right, at, at, at addressing mental health for farm workers. Can you tell us about this program, who you're working with, and how can we support it? Yeah, so the project is called Healing Voices. Um, it came about because right at the beginning of the pandemic, we started to have town halls with farm workers. We just really wanted to hear from folks on the ground what their most important priorities were at the time. And we had these conversations and, you know, over the course of the year, because we knew that it wasn't a one-time conversations, things change, needs change. And in every conversation that we had, this issue of mental health kept coming up. People talked about 
feeling isolated, feeling afraid. They talked about anxiety related to their children's education and you know, they alluded to the fact that some of them were experiencing violence. You know, there were so many different issues that were kind of emerging. And in each of those conversations, we provided folks with information and resources that we had available to us. But it just became so clear that there was nothing set up to provide farm workers with actual therapy. And when I thought about these conversations, I thought a lot about the fact that farm workers have always lived through trauma. Right. I mean, the, the job conditions that they work under are difficult and traumatic. The losses they experience in their work because, uh, because of the fact that they're not being treated like humans. And I'm talking about like things from like wage theft to injury to being pushed out of a job. If you've stood up for your rights, like there's all sorts of losses that people are experiencing and all of those things have resulted in trauma in their lives. But then when you add on top of that, this pandemic, it just, it really exacerbated the situation. And so, we made the decision that for us, the next priority in terms of our humanitarian relief work around COVID beyond providing people with food and money and basic necessities was this mental health project. Because in order for us to make sure that people can live whole and healthy lives, mental health had to be at the center as well. So Healing Voices is a project that we created with the Eva Longoria Foundation, Latinx Therapy, and the National Migrant and Seasonal Head Start Program, along with Justice for Migrant Women. It's the first of its kind. So we are building something from scratch. We are learning a lot in the process. We have a lot to learn. The pilot is kicking off uh, mid-June and it will run through mid-October. We're going to be doing group therapy uh, with farm workers in California and Florida to start. We are so fortunate because there's been an outpouring of support. We have a group of therapists that are going to be conducting the sessions. We have two therapists who've worked with us through the Latinx Therapy Network to build out the curriculum that we will be using. And, um, you know, our hope is twofold. Our hope is that we will be able to provide this direct care, culturally competent, linguistically appropriate care to farm worker community members through the pilot, but that we'll be able to scale it to farm workers across the country beyond the pilot and hopefully to other workers and in other industries. Um, but the other thing is like the big, big vision, like the sort of um, what I like to call uh, the record scratching opportunity is if we are able to show the federal government that mental health is and should be considered an occupational health and safety issue. And if we are able to get the federal government, particularly OSHA, to enact standards around providing workers with mental health support, that would be huge because that's not something that's ever been done in our country. And we know that we spend more of our waking hours, we spend working. And Many of us, no matter what industry you're working in, experience stress and, and sometimes become depressed because of because of circumstances at our work or, or external to our work. Um, and we also know that if people experience bad treatment at work, it is likely that that, that uh, those experiences, the frustration and the harm that they experience because of that treatment, that is something that, they, that we carry. We carry in our bodies, and then that means we carry it into our homes. We carry it into our communities. So Healing Voices is a pilot that is meant to serve specifically the farm worker community and hopefully will be broadened. 
But really, I think it's a challenge to the political leaders of this country to actually show leadership in, in providing the supports that people need in order to do their work, but also to do their work in a way that is going to be mindful of the mental health consequences of being working people in this country. That's fantastic. I love I love that bigger vision. This is about systemic change. And so all of us should be uh, rooting for this pilot. And if are there ways that the listeners can get involved? Could, like, how would how could we be supportive about this? Well, I think, first of all, we all need to normalize this conversation, right? In our community, in the Latinx community, we don't talk enough about mental health, and we certainly don't talk enough about the fact that we can get help when we're struggling. So we need to speak more openly about why it is important to get help and that there is help. I would love for people to talk about Healing Voices in particular, because I think that you know when you have a community that has been dehumanized, people aren't thinking about them at all, and they certainly aren't thinking about their mental health. So we need people to talk about this project and the fact that it's important. And the third way is, you know, we need people to help contribute. Like we were doing it. We, we received funding um, in order to pilot this. It's, we received seed funding from the Collective Futures Fund and from the Workers Lab. But in order for us to continue this project and to scale it, we're going to have to continue to raise resources. So I would also ask for people to consider making donations. You know, even if it's only $5, all of that cumulatively will, will really help in order for us to be able to sustain this project beyond its pilot. Wonderful. Is there a place where folks can go to find out how they can donate? Yes. If you go to our website, which is www.justice, the number four women. Dot org, you'll be able to find a page that's all about healing voices and you'll be able to find a donate button there and you'll and that's where you'll be able to donate and I would encourage people to check out the page because one of the other things that we're doing is in addition to the direct services that page is going to be built out with additional mental health resources and the groups that are going to be conducted um, the, the therapists who are going to be conducting the groups they're going to be recording like an outtake video summing up what's been discussed in the group so that if for some reason people have to miss a group, you know, because farm workers' lives are challenging and it might not be possible for them to be able to make every single session, but we want those resources to still be available. So um, that page is going to contain videos related to some of the curriculum and some of the trainings that will be part of the curriculum and groups and then other resources. So check out that page uh, to learn more about the project and to get more resources. Um, and then you'll also be able to find the donate button there if you'd like to give to support it. That's fantastic. Well, great. I hope um, all our listeners get involved and we'll make sure to put those um, links on our show notes. I do want to go back a little bit. I mean, you, you kind of described um, some of the different challenges that, that farm workers face and that everybody might be, um, not everybody, but many of us encounter challenges in our workplace and are worthy of, of seeking the support that we might need for our mental health. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about um, violence, about the gender-based violence. I think that um, there's this notion that this is something that happens in other countries or in other places, but gender-based violence is something that's happening in our own backyard and, and that migrant farm workers are especially vulnerable to, or, or many of our low-income, uh, high-risk jobs that exist out there um, are, are women that are vulnerable to this. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, thank you for raising that because it is true. Unfortunately, in many low-paid jobs, not just in agriculture, we see that 
bosses, supervisors, um, people who have power in jobs like to hold that power over people. And they like to use that power, unfortunately, uh, to harass people. You know, and sexual harassment is one of the forms of gender-based violence that many workers in our country experience. You know, my work is focused on women um, and girls, but we have to acknowledge that men Children, non-binary community members also experience this harassment and violence. And unfortunately, there hasn't been enough research done for us to have a clear picture of the extent of it in terms of, you know, data from reports. But what we know is that there are extremely high incidents of, of sexual violence against farmworker women. There have been uh, three studies done, and I guess a fourth if you count the one that I worked on. Um, and in each of those studies, the numbers have come back you know, astoundingly high. So the first study that was done on farmworker women uh, in sexual harassment was done in the late 80s, and 90% of the participants said that sexual harassment was a major workplace problem for them. Another study was done in 2014 in California as well, sort of like a follow-up to that study. It was done by different researchers, but essentially, you know, in my mind, it was like a follow-up to that first study. And 80% of the women responded that sexual harassment was a major workplace problem. The report that I co-authored and published in, in 2010, uh, we talked to farm worker women, poultry workers, meat packers, restaurant workers, so women employed across the food industry, um, many of whom were immigrant, most of whom were, were Latinx, and 100% of the women that we interviewed said that sexual harassment was a major workplace problem. And when we're talking about um, the, the harassment that people are experiencing, and, and for listeners who are who are tuning in, um, I want us to take care of ourselves during this conversation because when we talk about gender-based violence, it's a it's a challenging topic. So, take deep breaths, drink some water, um, you know, take care of yourself. Um, but I want to share a little bit so you have some insight into what I'm talking about. You know. Gender-based violence comes in many forms. Um, certainly, we see there's an intersection sometimes between domestic violence and sexual violence where people are experiencing multiple forms of violence at the same time or they in their lives have experienced multiple forms of violence. Um, but in the workplace, we're seeing that the women who are reporting out that this is a problem for them, you know, it, the the violence is on the spectrum. So it's, you know, a completed assault, um, attempted uh, sexual assault. It is, um, you know, ranging from uh, inappropriate comments and touching. It's the full range of violence. And in every single case that I've handled as an attorney, no matter what it is that happened to the individual, you know, no matter where their violence that they've experienced falls on that spectrum, it is unquestionable that that violence forever impacts that person, right, in their life in terms of um, undermining their ability to feel safe at work, undermining their ability to do their work um, at, at the same rate or with the same quality that maybe they were able to do it before because they're constantly afraid that something else is going to happen. You know, it results in lots of uh, trauma uh, to them in their lives. And, and so, unfortunately for migrant women, 
because perpetrators do not believe that anyone cares and they do not believe that anyone will help them, we've seen that violence spike at different points in time. So every time there's a conversation about immigration reform or the rights of immigrants, we see that those rates spike because perpetrators feel as though they can get away with it. And unfortunately, they often do. And so our work as a community, I think, is to make sure that people know that this violence is happening. It's to make sure that people understand that there's help if they're experiencing this violence. And it's also to make sure that survivors understand no matter where they work, no matter how much they earn, no matter how they came to this country, whether they have immigration status in this country or not, no matter their circumstances, that they're not alone and that there are many people who care about them and who are fighting for them. And many of us who are doing this work are survivors too. I'm a survivor and this work is extraordinarily personal to me. And many, many people across this country, unfortunately, have experienced this kind of violence as well. And so when we say that we mean, you know, when it is our intention to end this violence, we mean it because none of us want people to experience that violence. And I, for every single woman I've had the honor of representing, when you ask them why they've decided to take action, they always say it's because they don't want anyone else to suffer. And so let us be united in our pain and in our resilience and in our promise to do all that we can to end this violence forever for everyone. And I believe that if we continue to move in the world with that commitment, we will one day see an end to this violence. And that will include ending violence against farm worker women and other migrant women who are the most among the most vulnerable and most marginalized among us. Thank you so much, Monica. Thank you for all that you do, the, 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 just the leadership that you model and for being so vulnerable. And I hope everybody listening, you are as fired up as I am to get more involved, to support. And, and if you are I mean, chances are, because of the statistics being as high as they are, if you are someone that has experienced this sort of uh, violence, just as you mentioned, that you're not alone. There's so many of us that are thinking of you and that are championing you. And Monica, thank you so much for doing this tremendous work and for calling all of us in and inviting us in so that we could also join you in, in uh, eradicating this this problem that is really pervasive among our community. I'd love to ask you, considering how much you have to, you, you carry, how do you stay grounded? Where do you get your calma as we call it here on Tamarindo? <laughs> you know, again, I, I, my family, uh, you know, I'm, I do this work because of my family. I do this work because I want my son to inherit a better world. And I want my, hopefully maybe one day grandchildren and great grandchildren to inherit a better world. But the other thing is, I have been very fortunate in in my work to find incredible partners and you know I say I call them co-conspirators for good um, and having the right partners really makes a difference you know having organizations that I can go to and say hey, I have this idea which oftentimes people are like oh oh here comes Monica with more work and a different idea you know whatever and but thankfully they still answer the call right thankfully they they write back and they say okay well let's let's hear it let's see what we can do together and that helps me stay grounded because I also know that um, the work that I'm doing is 
a small part of the work that's being done and the work that needs to be done. And I'm just, I'm just kind of adding my own little, you know, piece to make the world better. And there are many, many other people who are doing the work too. And that makes, that gives me a sense of calm knowing that I'm not in this work alone and that there are other people who want to continue to dream big and to, to make bold moves because the work that we are doing, these aren't small dreams like this. These aren't small visions They're What we're taking on is huge. They're huge issues. They're difficult issues. They're issues that have existed forever. Um, and so it helps me feel really strong that I know that, that I will have many, many people who want to link arms and who are committed to figuring out how we can, you know, spread our resources, learn from each other and continue to build together. Love that. I love that. Co-conspirators for good. <laughs> um, fantastic. I have just two more questions and these are, you know, fun questions here. They can be fun. They could also be serious, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we love to throw things in la basura, you know, whatever we're done with or canceling. It could be trivial, could be big, whatever you want to do. What is something that you want to throw in la basura? Oh my gosh. That's such a good question. You know what? I really, really want to throw, uh, competitiveness in the, in the basura. We don't have time for that. Like every single one of us are important. We all are bringing something important into the world. The work that we do is necessary. And like, you know, we need to see each other as allies and as colleagues and all the like, competition that happens or, you know, I don't know what, what else it maybe isn't competition. Maybe it's something else. We just, we don't have time for that bad energy and we can't save the world if that's where we're, we're focusing our energy. So that is, that is done over. I don't have time for that. And I, I hope I never have to experience that in the future because I just really, I think we know what's important and that is certainly not what is important in my mind. Love that. Love that. And, um, kind of to balance that what gets your matraca what are you celebrating and i have my, my matraca ready <laughs> so oh, what are you celebrating oh, i wish i had one well you know what my little boy is turning eight Yay, next happy week birthday. <laughs> happy birthday i know i can't believe it actually it makes me sad because i don't want him to to grow up so quickly it feels like he's growing up so quickly but i'm also so honored to get to watch him grow up and he's he's just incredible and brings brings our whole family so much joy so we are going to be celebrating him for the rest of this week and you know certainly into the future but this is his big week because he is going to be eight that is great okay eight is great um well happy birthday <laughs> to him um thank you again what an honor to have you here um and i know everyone listening is going to be very inspired to support and we we're going to have links so that we are all there to put our little granito whatever we can do and also the, the things that don't cost money which like you mentioned just sort of talking about mental health supporting one another letting people know that we're they're not alone and uh put the competitiveness in la basura thank you so much um again what an honor muchisimas gracias no ati really thank you so much and keep doing what you're doing you are bringing light into this world and we are so lucky to have you Tamarindo Podcast is part of Sonoro Media. It is hosted by Brenda Gonzalez and Anasheila Victorino. Producer Jeff provides original music and Michelle Andrade edits the show. Follow us on Instagram at Tamarindo Podcast and on Twitter at Tamarindo Cast. 
support our show by sharing this episode with a friend, writing us a review on Apple Podcasts, or contributing financially to the show. All contributions, big or small, help us keep bringing you great conversations and free or low-cost events. To get in touch with us or to support us, please go to tamarindopodcast.com. Cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa. Eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI, FPEI, 220099. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.